Welcome to Folklore on the Rocks. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Folklore on the Rocks. I'm Logan. I'm Lindsay. And we are back with another round of Winter Folk Tales. Yeah, we are. I'm so glad that we're going to continue this on. It is still nice and snowy here in Utah and, and we've got a nice fresh cocktail for everybody, don't we, Linz? We do. This one is less of the warm one that we had like last time. Yeah. It's just more refreshing and seasonal. I, I like to use the word invigorating for invigorating. it. Invigorating. <laughs> yes, bracing. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> All the things the cold is. <laughs> All those good things, yeah. yes. So this one is called Good Tidings, which I like a lot. It's very pink. <laughs> uh, basically, it's some winter flavors and scents. Uh, easy to drink. It's really sweet and delicious. Um, what we have in here is some vodka. We've got some Cointreau, which... I honestly had to look up how to say. It looks like Cointreau. <laughs> I know like nobody knows how to say it. Essentially, it's orange liqueur. Cointreau, it's a brand of triple sec. So you could easily use triple sec in this. It would almost be identical. That's what we did tonight, but the recipe technically calls for Cointreau. So anyway, vodka, Cointreau, lemon juice, cranberry juice, and then a bar spoonful of allspice dram, which is basically an allspice liqueur. Um, it's originally from Jamaica. It really, really enhances a lot of drinks. Um, it can be hard to find, so we're going to post a DIY recipe for you in our show notes. It's super easy. It's a few ingredients, including like rum and allspice berry powder. Like you grind it up and stick it somewhere for a couple weeks, and then suddenly you have it. Yeah, stuff any, any good sh- kitchen should have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, it's it's much more expensive to like import it from somewhere, and we couldn't even do that here because we can't get liquor in Utah, which is yeah ridiculous. We live in Utah. <laughs> Where are we here? We need to move. Uh, but hey, uh, Lindsay's here, now. so it's not yes. so bad. It's fine, I guess. So yeah, we'll post that recipe for you. Uh, of the drink and of how to make the allspice dram. Um, but basically with this, you just shake it, all of the ingredients with ice and strain it into a Collins glass over ice and you just top it off with soda. So you can garnish that with a lemon wheel and you can stud that with cloves, kind of like we did with our glue vine, just for a little extra seasonal kick. Just that little, little kick. kick. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our cocktail for the tonight, and we are enjoying the hell out of it, and yeah, it's sipping nice. and chilling, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Um, I've got my nice uh, electric blanket on to warm up a little bit. Yeah, and if it gets any more chilly in here, I'm going to go get my Chewbacca bathrobe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Logan has worn that many a time as we recorded, and it looks very comfy. <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> and we've also got a fresh batch of stories for everyone, don't we? We do. They're so much fun. We've got some more stories from around the world, and you guys are going to enjoy them. So our very first story of, of the evening or day or whatever. I guess <laughs> Whenever you're listening to us. The week. <laughs> the there first you story go. of this week <laughs> is called The Ice King and His Wonderful Grandchild, and it's by William Elliot Griffiths. It is from 1918. And Logan is going to tell it to us. All right, here goes. 
In the far-off ages, all of the lands of northern Europe were one, for the deep seas had not yet separated them. Then our forefathers thought the fairies were gods. They built temples in their honor and prayed to them. Then, in the place where there is now the little town of Ulrum, in Friesland, was the home of the spirit in the ice, Uller. That is what Ulrum means, the home of the good fairy Uller. Uller was the patron of boys and girls. They liked him, because he invented skates and sleds and sleighs. He had charge of things in winter and enjoyed the cold. He delighted also in hunting, dressed in thick furs. He loved to roam over the hills and through the forests, seeking out the wolf, the bear, the deer, and the aurochs. His bow and arrow were terrible, for they were very big and he was a sure shot. Being the patron of archery, Hunters always sought his favor. The yew tree was sacred to Uller, because the best bows were made from its wood. No one could cut down a yew tree without angering Uller. Nobody knew who Uller's father was, and if he knew himself, he did not care to tell anyone. He would not bestow many blessings upon mankind, yet thousands of people used to come to Ulrum every year to invoke his aid, and to ask him to send a heavy fall of snow to cover the ground. That meant good crops of food for the next year. The white snow, laying thick upon the ground, kept back the frost giants from biting the earth too hard. Because of deep winter snows, the ground was soft during the next summer. So the seeds sprouted more easily, and there was plenty to eat. When Uller traveled out over the winter snow, to go out on hunting trips, he strapped snowshoes to his feet. Because these were shaped like a warrior's shield, Uller was often called the Shield God. His protection was especially invoked by men who fought duels with sword or spear, which were very common in the early days, or by soldiers or hunters who wished to be very brave or had engaged in perilous ventures. Now when Uller wanted a wife to marry him, he made love to Skadi because she was a huntress and liked the things which he liked, so they never had a quarrel. She was very strong, fond of sports and of chasing the wild animals. She wore a short skirt, which allowed freedom of motion to her limbs. Then she ranged over the hills and valleys with wonderful swiftness. So rapid were her movements that many people likened her to the cold mountain stream that leaps down from the high peaks and over the rocks, foaming and dashing to the lowlands. They gave this same name to both this fairy woman and the water, because they were both so much alike. Indeed, Scotty was very lovely to look at. It was no wonder that many of the gods, fairies, and men fell in love with her. It is even said that she had had several husbands before marrying Uller. When you look at her pictures, you will see that she was as pretty as bright winter itself. When Jack Frost clothes the trees with white, and makes the cheeks of the girls so rosy. She wore armor of shining steel, a silver helmet, short white skirts, and white fur leggings. Her snowshoes were the hue of winter. Besides a glittering spear, she had a bow and sharp arrows. These were held in a silver quiver slung over her shoulders. Altogether, she looked like winter alive. She loved to live in the mountains, and to hear the thunders of the cataracts, the crash of avalanches, the moaning of the winds in the pine forests. Even the howling of wolves was music in her ears. She was afraid of nothing. Now from such a father and mother, one would expect wonderful children, yet very much like their parents. It turned out that the offspring of Uller and Scotty were all daughters. To them, one after the other, were given the names meaning glacier, cold, snow, drift, snow whirl, and snow dust. 
the oldest being the biggest and the hardiest. The others were in degree softer and more easily influenced by the sun and the wind. They all looked alike, so that some people called them the Six White Sisters. Yet they were all so great and powerful that many considered them giantesses. It was not possible for men to tame them, for they did very much as they pleased. Yet no one could stop their doings or drive them away, except Woden, who was the god of the sun. Yet in the winter, even he left off ruling the world and went away. During that time, that is, during seven months, Uller took Woden's throne and governed the affairs of the world. When summer came, Uller went with his wife up to the North Pole, or they lived in a house on top of the Alps. There they could hunt and roam with their snowshoes. To those cold places which the whole family enjoyed, their daughters went also, and were all very happy so far above the earth. Things went on pleasantly enough in Uller's family, so long as his daughters were young, for then the girls found enough to delight in at their daily play. But when grown up and their heads began to fill with notions about the young giants who paid visits to them, then the family troubles began. There was one young fairy giant named Vur, who came often to see all six of Uller's daughters, from the youngest to the oldest. Yet no one could tell which of them he was in love with, or could name the girl he liked the best. No, not even the daughters themselves. His character and his qualities were not well known, for he put on many disguises and appeared in many places. It was believed that he had already done a good deal of mischief and was likely to do more, for he loved destruction. Yet, he often helped the Kabouter dwarves to do great things, so that showed that he was of some use. In fact, he was the Fire Fairy. He kept on courting all the six sisters long after May Day came, and he lengthened his visits until the heat turned the entire half-dozen of them into water, so they became one. At this, Uller was so angry at Voor's having delayed so long before popping the question, and at his daughters losing their shapes that he made Vur marry them all and at once, they taking the name of Regan. Now when the child of Vur and Regan was born, it turned out to be, in body and in character, just what people expected from such a father and mother. It was named in Dutch, Stum. It grew fast and soon showed it was as powerful as its parents had been, yet it was much worse when shut up than when allowed to go free in the air. Stum loved to do all sorts of tricks. In the kitchen, it would make the iron kettle lid flop up and down with a lively noise. If it were contained in a vessel, whether of iron or earthenware, when set over the fire, it would blow the pot or kettle all to pieces in order to get out. Thinking itself a great singer, it would make rather a pleasant sound when its mother let it come out of a spout. Yet it never obeyed either of its parents. When they tried to shut up Stoom inside of anything, it always escaped with a terrible sound. In fact, nothing could long hold it in without an explosion. Sometimes, Stum would go down into the bowels of the earth and turn on a stream of water so as to meet the deep fires which are ever burning far down below us. Then there would come an awful earthquake because Stum wanted to get out, and the earth crust would not let him, but tried to hold him down. Sometimes, Stum slipped down into a volcano's mouth. Then the mountain, in order to save itself from being choked, had to spit Stum out. And this always made a terrible mess on the ground, and men called it lava. Or Stum might stay down in the crater as a guest, and quietly come out, occasionally, in jets and puffs. Even when Jack Frost was around and froze the pipes in the house, or turned the water of the pots, pans, kettles, and bottles into solid ice, Stum behaved very badly. 
If the frozen kettles or any other closed vessel were put over a stove or near the fire, and the ice melted at the bottom too fast, Stoom would blow the whole thing up. In this way, he often put men's lives in danger and made them lose their property. No one seemed to know how to handle this mischievous fairy. Not one man on earth could do anything with him. So they let him have his own way. Yet all the time, though he was enjoying his own tricks and lively fun, he was, with his own voice, calling on human beings to use him properly and harness him to wheels, for he was willing to be useful to them and was all ready to pull or drive, lift or lower, grind or pump, as the need might be. As long as men did not treat him properly and give him the right to get out into the air after he had done his work, Stoom would explode, blow up, and destroy everything. He could be made to sing, hiss, squeal, whistle, and make all kinds of sounds. But unless the bands that held him were strong enough, or if Vur got too hot, or his mother would not give him drink enough, when the iron pipes were red with heat, he would lose his temper and explode. He had no respect for bad or neglected boilers, or for lazy or careless firemen or engineers. Yet properly harnessed and treated well, and fed with the food such as his mother can give, and roused by his father's persuasion, Stoom is greater than any giant or fairy that ever was. He can drive a ship, a locomotive, a submarine, or an aeroplane, as fast as froze boar, horse, or ship. Everybody today is glad that Stoom is such a good servant and friend all over the world. Hey, that was good. Oh, that was a fun one. Interesting. Uh, that was definitely interesting. Yeah, I at first thought it was. It felt like a, a much weird. older story at first. <laughs> yeah. But then, it felt as like it we were... moved in, towared the Industrial Revolution, it, it <laughs> right? Lo- exactly. Modernized we up quite about, a bit. <laughs> well, the first part of it was like a lot about. Okay, let me tell you about all of these people. Yeah. Like a lot of introductionary exposition stuff, and then mm-hmm. it got to the point, which was you know, Stoom, essentially. Stoom. Which is the grandchild. Yeah. Stoom. Such a great name. Yeah. Stoom. <laughs> but I, I liked that, you know, it started off with these, like, the pagan folk belief mythology that we have mm-hmm. there. Sacred you, gods of hunt and winter, and that kind of thing. So I thought that was that was interesting. And like like you said, it headed straight for the Industrial Revolution towards yeah. the end. <laughs> it, it started <laughs> off very Norse and... You know, the the gods of my father and of his father before him. Specifically your it, fathers, yes. Yes, but it's, a, it's also, this kind of feels like Norse mythology fan fiction. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it, <laughs> I love that. And you're right. Somebody looked at what was written before and said, this is cool. I'm going to carry this forward. And really, they obeyed a lot of the rules of creating a good mythology. You take the unanswerable questions and you make up a story that fits. It kind of makes me wonder if it was uh, like folk belief around the time period when this was created, like turn of the century-ish. Mm-hmm. So if they took these these two gods that they knew about already, or these two mythological figures that they knew about, and combined them to make a new thing to explain steam being able to power things yeah vur and regen yeah it's fire and rain right there for you for my amateur (laughs) dutch translation i like it a lot (laughs) something that i found really interesting with stoom is that stoom was very gender neutral they didn't really mention many pronouns one way or the other granted it's steam 
Mm-hmm. So it doesn't yeah. necessarily have like a biological sex. <laughs> yeah, it's even in the in the title of the story that it's not his the the grandson of summer of yeah. winter. It's grandchild. Winter, grandchild. Yes. yes. So I, I like that. I mean, I don't think that it was necessarily intentional, and that they were very progressive. But maybe mm-hmm. they were. I don't know. I, I think that the formless nature of Steam, uh, sorry, Stoom, uh, as a Stoom. character, <laughs> more than the more than the the element of Steam, uh, lent it to being undefined. Right, and that's kind of the essence of of Steam itself, right? Like it's it's transparent. It can't be touched and caught. It's always escaping. Um, now like we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the one thing about it though is uh, do you think steam should have a have a gender? For example, like a as in the story, this character is a child. Uh they are freshly born and still trying to develop their the their, their their place yeah. in the world. Later on, do you think this character, not necessarily saying one is better than the other, but this character that we've seen so far, do you think they would have grown up to have a gender or do you think it would have been just a gender creature for yeah, I think amorphous. It's not. Yeah. It it doesn't need to be defined really. Like yeah. it lends it lends nothing to the tale. It being one way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. So and that, I think that's kind of a cool thing that that <laughs> yeah. when when you leave things open ended like that, it lets the reader identify with the character for themselves, however they like. Actually, mm-hmm. it's interesting. I um I have a short story that's published in a paranormal anthology. And my story is about a reaper that, like a grim reaper that loses the ability to reap. And mm. in it, I, it, this kind of started off unintentionally, but I never ended up using any pronouns within it because the story's in first person. Uh-huh. So um, I had, a, after it was published, like I, I made the conscious decision about like three quarters of the way through going like gender is totally unnecessary here because it's a reaper. It's an eternal being. It doesn't reproduce. There's no yes. reason for it to have a sex or a gender. Right. And oddly enough, I've written a short story on proving the gender of death itself. <laughs> I like that. That's for funny. Me, it, the total yes. opposite. <laughs> but the, the entire reason that I wanted to do it that way, when I eventually was like, Oh yeah, I could just do this was for that very purpose. When someone reads that story, they can have the main character be whomever they'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and, and I've if had people tell me your multiple own perspective things. and putting yourself into mm-hmm. the story. It makes it so much easier to much easier. Right? Yeah. Um, and like I had a specific image in mind when I wrote it, but the things that the character does, like it doesn't matter. It was so it was just kind of Sorry, tangential, but it was just yeah. interesting. Um, that, that is really cool. Uh, that it was people fun to write about. Just, ki- just kind of did with the character what they would. Yeah. Now, in your story, did you have death uh, when when death spoke? Did it? What did it all come out in small caps? <laughs> no, it was it wasn't Terry Pratchett, unfortunately. Oh. Which I love so much. Um, if you haven't read the Discworld books, now that's do a it. death I can get behind right there. He's one of my favorite characters. <laughs> In literary all time ever. Oh yeah, he's so great. Um, they, they are like they're a fantasy world, but it's yeah. all comedy. 
uh, death is. It this doesn't take itself super seriously, and so yet it sardonic is, and dry. And and yet the the world has a set of rules, and it is completely consistent. Uh-huh. And that is why I love it. So it the world is. the world is a disc, and it's on the back of four elephants that are on the back mm-hmm. of a giant turtle that's in space. Pretty standard. So that essentially tells you everything that you need to know about how awesome and ridiculous these books are. Yeah. <laughs> they're so fantastic. And there's tons of them. He's got yeah. a lot of Discworld books. There are there are a couple of uh couple of live action little features on Netflix. Yeah, the Hogfather. Yeah, that's a good that's, that's a good, a good uh, holiday winter time one. and, and so holiday one. Check that out. Yeah. It's a fun twist on Or if like, you're looking for Christmas an introduction. Time. If you're looking for an introduction to the world, uh, The yeah, Color think, of Magic is a very good place yes. to start. That's the first one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and The Hot Father has, like, Sean Astin in it, I think, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and Rudy very good. Himself, totally guys. holds up. Yeah. <laughs> Samwise Gamgee. <laughs> All of the things. Yeah. What's his oh, name cool. in tra- Stranger Things? Where we all cried. Bob, right? Bob, Bob. yeah. So sad. <laughs> I mean, spoilers alert. Sorry. Hey, if you like the show and you care about the show, you should watch the show. <laughs> right. It's been out for like over a year. I think that we're good at this point. Yeah. But whatever. Anyway, so um, back to Stoom. Stoom. Mm-hmm. Stoom. <laughs> yeah, there's there's an element of not quite being a mortal creature to this to this fairy being. Uh, they It reminds me of uh, there's an old Norse uh, myth of Thor and he goes into the hall of the giants and they test him very much like a, very much like Hercules was tested. And one of the tests he had to go through was an eating contest against a particular <laughs> giant named Logi, L-O-G-I. But what Thor so didn't not know, <laughs> not Lo- not Loki, different different guy. Got it. <laughs> but but what Thor didn't know is that Logi was the personification of fire. So no matter how much Thor ate, Logi could eat more. Thor ate the all of the food on the table. Logi ate all the food plus the table, plus the chairs, the dishes, the great hall itself. And, <laughs> because he's uh, fire. <laughs> he is fire. I also appreciate that the Kabouter dwarves were in there. <laughs> Love that. Yes, the Kabouters live on, on Kabouter Plop. Kabouter Plop? Yes, ploppledy ploppledy plop. Uh, It's kind of like the Smurfs over there, just their version of the dwarves. Um, I I love that. That's fantastic. And and they do some really great early kind of Muppet-style techno songs that are... Uh, That, of course, you know about. (laughs) Yes, if you're you're really looking to go down a rabbit hole, do some Googling. Kabouter Plop. Uh, That's a really fun rabbit hole. Uh, To the 12 Dutch people who listen to our show, hello. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. We have 12? I don't even know what number we have. (laughs) Pretty sure we have some, but I can't remember how many. Some of you, and we love you all. And we love you all. <laughs> um, with with you saying like uh, you said Loki and Loki, Loki, and that made me think um, Loki had a lot to be, to do with fire as well. So I wonder if there's something with the etymology there. Could be. Um, I mean, I he don't was know. A trickster. Like, he old, liked to turn into Norse. stuff. He like <laughs> he like he liked to both turn into things and say he wasn't himself, and then also have sex with those other things, and yeah. then have children that were a lot like himself. So That's a lot like Zeus. Children's, yeah. <laughs> Children's, yeah. Yeah, interesting guy. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So the element of like the industrial revolution, we touched on that a little bit, but I think that it was fun to see how they brought that in and they explained 
how he like Stoom would be the one that blew shit up, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like a boiler blew and it was Stoom because you weren't treating him right, which makes perfect sense because yeah, you're you, not you maintaining let him, you your let him boiler. Escape. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or steam from a kettle or, you know, like it's a fun kind of feels like a mashup a little. A little bit. Yeah, you I know? do like think you it's said, funny. Fan that, fiction. I do think that it's funny uh, that it's, this it's fan steam, fiction is written from the steampunk. perspective. <laughs> steampunk. Um, <laughs> steampunk Norse mythology. That's so great. Uh, Somebody write do, that. <laughs> I, I think yes. It's probably if out no there. One, if no one's going to, then I must. Dude, Logan, uh, <laughs> Logan, you need to do it. Well, all right. <laughs> so, I commissioned thee. What I what I was thinking about this story, though, one of the interesting things is that it's written from the perspective of someone who thinks that uh, the steam engines were a good thing and a great wonder to mankind, and really this great amazing thing. And while yes, looking back historically, yeah, of course they were. They brought you know, everybody into this next age of wonderful things. But at the time, if you were somebody living in that time and you were replaced by a machine in your job and suddenly you found yourself out of work and you had to figure out what you're doing for your family. Like that's we a, will be in 20 years. Yeah. I know. <laughs> or less. <laughs> just join, just join my roving electric motor, uh, electric bicycle. Uh, there you go. R- ravening gang of people. Just <laughs> your monster. Uh, everyone's snow- welcome. Your monster snowboarding bike. Yep. And uh, <laughs> we're, I'm, I'm devising some kind of Lance like apparatus. So, <laughs> Oh my God, you're going to start jousting. Well, I've got to figure it out. I mean, I've got to, <laughs> oh I've got to be good at it by then. <laughs> I'm sure you will be. <laughs> just but, don't kill anyone <laughs> or yourself. As I say every time this bike is mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> but often these stories come from, uh, you know, working class people. These are people who work hard and tell stories to their children to explain the parts of this life either that they don't understand or yeah. uh, can't control. But the idea that, that Sturm is this great, helpful thing for all of mankind. And that he's like a, happy to interesting help. perspective for the story. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's a, a fun meld. And I think that you encapsulated it well with the, the fan fiction aspect. I think that's really fun. <laughs> well, thank you. But, so we're going to take a quick break here for a promo. Um, this promo is for one of my absolute favorite podcasts and podcasters um so ck which you may know as classic kevin is so cool he he's the kindest guy he's so supportive his show is fantastic he's got amazing content so his show is family friendly it's very lighthearted. he essentially takes you on adventures with him and his dog finn and Logan would definitely like him just because of that. <laughs> um, if there's a dog, I'm already on board. Exactly, right? And his cat shows up sometimes and loves Barry Manilow. Um, <laughs> but basically, they go around the world and they meet and learn about different creatures. And he's got this whole other element um, that's... So he's he's got the factual stuff that's a little bit informative. And then he's got stuff that he's... Uh, that he's written essentially that's a little audio drama too cool so he has a recurring story of all of these monsters um that like interact with each other and he's got fun voices for all of them and it is 
so much fun. You guys will love him. Go check out his show. It's called Mirths and Monsters. Uh, He's relaunching on January 1st. He went on a little bit of a hiatus and he's back now, which is why we're playing this today because then it will give you some time to start listening to his old stuff. And once he starts back up again, you're right there. Um, So we are going to play his promo right here. Cool. Let's check it out. Well, hello, my friends. This is CK from the Mirths and Monsters podcast. Join me, my companion Finn, and my occasionally satanically possessed cat Ray as we investigate the real truths behind some of the most wonderful creatures you can imagine. Are trolls really that thick? Or is it just bad press? Are leprechauns really drunken bums? Sort of. But there's a lot more to find out. All you need to do is tune in to Mirths and Monsters podcast with me and Finn. Till next time, Slancha. Your good health. And we're back. Oh, yeah. You, you've told me about that one a couple of times. I really do need to check that They're one out. Fun. It sounds if, so cool. If you liked our Compass episode, I think that this one will be right up your alley. He gets a whole cast in there. I, I understand not everyone can get the Krampus to come and do a guest appearance on their show. We're pretty special. I'm not going to lie. I do feel like uh, we've got a fun guy. We've got to up our game after he showed up. Um, right. <laughs> if I know he's listening, uh, who else could be out there? You know, what I other... know. <laughs> and and I, I would like to take this opportunity to uh, just say that this show is not just for humans. Um, if you are a cryptid out there and have access to a podcast listening device, you are welcome to listen to our show. <laughs> we don't discriminate. <laughs> not at all. All right. So let's get back to our next story, which is called The Cold Lady. And mm. it is from Japan. Um, the story, I believe, was written down or translated or something by Grace James in 1910. And Logan is going to read us this tale now. All right, let's roll. Once, an old man and a young man left their village in company in order to make a journey into a distant province. Now, whether they went for pleasure or for profit, for matters of money, of love or war, or because of some small or great vow that they had laid upon their souls, it is no longer known. All these things were very long since forgotten. It is enough to say that it is likely they accomplished their desires, for they turned their faces homewards, about the setting in of the winter season, which is an evil time for wayfarers, heaven knows. Now as they journeyed, it happened that they missed their way, and being in a lonely part of the country, they wandered all the day long and came upon no good soul to guide them. Near nightfall, they found themselves upon the brink of a broad and swift-flowing river. There was no bridge, no ford, no ferry. Down came the night, with pitch-black clouds and a little shrewd wind that blew the dry and scanty reeds. Presently, the snow came. The flakes fell upon the dark water of the river. "'How white they are!' cried the young man. But the old man shivered. In truth, it was bitter cold, and they were in a bad case— Tired out, the old man sat him down upon the ground. He drew his cloak round him and clasped his hands about his knees. The young man blew upon his fingers to warm them. He went up the bank a little, and at last he found a small poor hut, deserted by a charcoal burner or ferryman. Bad it is at the best, said the young man. Yet the gods be praised for any shelter on such a night. So 
He carried his companion to the hut. They had no food and no fire, but there was a bundle of dried leaves in the corner. Here they lay down and covered themselves with their straw raincoats, and in spite of the cold, they soon fell asleep. About midnight, the young man was awakened by an icy air upon his cheek. The door of the hut stood wide open, and he could see the whirling snowstorm without. It was not very dark. "'A pest upon the wind!' said the young man. "'It has blown open the door, and the snow has drifted in and covered my feet.' And he raised himself up upon his elbow. Then he saw there was a woman in the hut. She knelt by the side of the old man, his companion, and bent low over him until their faces almost met. White was her face, and beautiful. White were her trailing garments. Her hair was white, with the snow that had fallen upon it. Her hands were stretched forth over the man that slept, and bright icicles hung from her fingertips. Her breath was quite plainly to be seen, as it came from her parted lips. It was like a fair white smoke. Presently she made an end of leaning over the old man, and rose up very tall and slender. Snow fell from her in a shower as she moved. That was easy, she murmured, and came to the young man, and sinking down beside him, took his hand in hers. If the young man was cold before, he was colder now. He grew numb from head to heel. It seemed to him as if his very blood froze, and his heart was a lump of ice that stood still in his bosom. A deathly sleep stole over him. This is my death, he thought. C can this be all? Thank the gods there is no pain. But the cold lady spoke. It is only a boy, she said. A pretty boy, she said, stroking his hair. I cannot kill him. Listen, she said. The young man moaned. You must never speak of me, nor of this night, she said. Not to father, nor mother, nor sister, nor brother, nor to betrothed maid, nor to wedded wife, nor to boy child, nor to girl child, nor to sun, nor moon, nor water, fire, rain, snow. Now swear it. He swore it. Fire, wind, rain, snow, he murmured and fell into a deep swoon. When he came to himself, it was high noon. The warm sun shone. A kind countryman held him in his arms and made him drink from a steaming cup. Now, boy, said the countryman, you should do. By the mercy of the gods, I came in time. Though what brought me to this hut? A good three rye out of my way. The august gods alone know. So you may thank them and your wondrous youth. As for the good old man, your companion... It is a different matter. He is past help. Already his feet have come to the parting of the three ways. Alack, cried the young man. Alack for the storm, the bitter, bitter night. My friend is dead. But he said no more then. Nor did he when a day's journey brought him home to his own village. For he remembered his oath, and the cold lady's words were in his ear. You must never speak of me, nor of this night. Not to father, nor mother, nor sister, nor brother, nor to betrothed maid, nor to wedded wife, nor to boy child, nor to girl child, nor to sun, nor moon, nor water, fire, wind, rain, snow. Some years after this, in the leafy summertime, it chanced that the young man took his walks abroad alone, and as he was returning homeward, about sundown, he was aware of a girl walking in the path a little way before him. It seemed as though she had come some distance, for her robe was kilted up. She wore sandals tied to her feet, and she carried a bundle. 
Moreover, she drooped and went wearily. It was not strange that the young man should come presently up with her, nor that he should pass the time of day. He saw at once that the girl was very young, fair, and slender. "'Young maiden,' he said, "'whither are you bound?' She answered, "'Sir, I am bound for Yido, where I intend to take service. I have a sister there who will find me a place.' "'What is your name?' he asked. "'My name is Oyuki.' "'Oyuki,' said the young man, "'you look very pale.' "'Alas, sir,' she murmured, "'I faint with the heat of the summer day.' And as she stood in the path, her slender body swayed, and she slid to his feet in a swoon. The young man lifted her gently and carried her in his arms to his mother's house. Her head lay upon his breast, and as he looked upon her face, he shivered slightly. All the same, he said to himself, these summer days turn chilly about sundown, or so it seems to me. When Oyuki was recovered of her swoon, she thanked the young man and his mother sweetly for their kindness, and, as she had little strength to continue her journey, she passed the night in their house. In truth, she passed many nights there, and the streets of Yido never knew her, for the young man grew to love her, and made her his wife, ere many moons were out. Daily she became more beautiful, fair she was, and white, her little hands, for all she used them for work in the house and work in the fields, were as white as jasmine flowers, and the hot sun could not burn her neck or her pale and delicate cheek. In the fullness of time she bore seven children, all as fair as she, and they grew up tall and strong with straight noble limbs. Their equal could not be found upon that countryside. Their mother loved them, reared them, labored for them. In spite of passing years, in spite of the joys and pains of motherhood, she looked like a slender maiden. There came no line upon her forehead, no dimness to her eyes, and no gray hairs. All the women of the place marveled at these things, and talked of them until they were tired. But Oyuki's husband was the happiest man for miles around. What with his fair wife and his fair children, morning and evening he prayed and said, "'Let not the gods visit it upon me if I have too much joy.'" On a certain evening in winter, having put her children to bed and warmly covered them, was with her husband in the next room. The charcoal glowed in the hibachi. All the doors of the house were closely shut, for it was bitter cold, and outside the first big flakes of a snowstorm had begun to fall. Oyuki stitched diligently at little bright-colored garments. An andon stood on the floor beside her, and its light fell full upon her face. Her husband looked at her, musing. "'Dear,' he said, when I look at you tonight, I am reminded of an adventure that came to me many years since. Oyuki spoke not at all, but stitched diligently. It was an adventure, or, or a dream, said the man, her husband, and yet which it was I cannot tell. Strange it was as a dream, yet I think I did not sleep. Oyuki went on sewing, not lifting her eyes from her work. Why, said the man, I have never spoken of her to anybody, yet he spoke then to his undoing. He told of his journey, and how he and his companion, being benighted in a snowstorm, took shelter in a hut. He spoke of the white, cold lady, and of how his friend had died in her chill embrace. Then she came to my side and leaned over me, but she said, It is only a boy, a pretty boy. I cannot kill him. Gods! How cold she was! How cold! 
Before she left, she made me swear. You must never speak of me, nor of this night, Oyuki said. Not to father, nor mother, nor brother, nor sister, nor betrothed maid, nor to wedded wife, nor to boy child, nor to girl child, nor to sun, nor moon, nor water, fire, wind, rain, snow. All this you swore to me, my husband, even to me. And after all these years, you have broken your oath. Unkind, unfaithful, and untrue. She folded her work together and laid it aside. Then she went to where the children were and bent her face over each in turn. The eldest murmured, Cold, cold. So she drew the quilt up over his shoulder. The youngest cried, Mother! then threw out his little arms. She said, I have grown too cold to weep any more. With that, she came back to her husband. Farewell, she said. Even now I cannot kill you for my little children's sakes. Guard them well. The man lifted up his eyes and saw her. White was her face and beautiful. White were her trailing garments. Her hair was white, as it were with snow that had fallen upon it. Her breath was quite plainly to be seen as it came from her parted lips. It was like a fair white smoke. Farewell! Farewell! she cried, and her voice grew thin and chill like a piercing winter wind. Her form grew vague as a snow wreath or a white vaporous cloud. For an instant it hung upon the air, then it rose slowly through the smoke hole in the ceiling, and was no more seen. That was a fun That's one. great. I love that we were able to get a story from Japan. That's so fun. Um, yeah, to me, to me, for some reason, snow and Japan just don't, they, they, they don't pop together in my mind very easily. But it's definitely um, there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, there are parts of the country that get a ton of, ton of snow. Mm-hmm. They also have, uh, you know, their baboons that uh, sit in the hot pock- hot pots and just kind of chill That's out in the, the hot tub. the coolest stuff. I can't yeah. blame them. It looks very cozy. <laughs> but an element of this I- story that I thought was interesting was um, with, like, hypothermia. Like, he was talking about how at least, like, as, I th- I'm going to die. At least it's not painful. This is fine. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that, that was a theme throughout the whole thing. Just the repeated... Um, you know, cold, Threat of cold, cold, and which is this, why this is a wintry story. Yeah, this was written by somebody who I'm not saying that they knew what it was like, but they they had somehow gotten a pretty accurate idea of, of what hypothermia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's such an interesting way to die. Really, not to be morbid, but like, well, I mean, yes, to be morbid because I'm me, but um, <laughs> but it's it's interesting, like because you're miserable and freezing for a long time. And then once your body hits the point of no return, it feels like sleepiness. Yeah. You're warm. You go to sleep. Your body Mm -hmm. just slowly, calmly shuts itself down. And then you leave the life. There's life (laughs) and you're gone. (laughs) It's interesting. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather not. I'd rather keep my jacket on and wear my nice, nice furry hat. Yes. Better to stay warm and not die. <laughs> but in case you do. Yeah. 
I mean, <laughs> I, it is nice that it's it's kind of it reminds me of like if you die from like your gallbladder bursting or something. You were in mm-hmm. horrendous pain for such a oh, long time. Yeah. And the second your gallbladder bursts and all that bile is released, you feel amazing and then your body is poisoned and dies. And yeah. So that's fun. <laughs> and that's why they take out gallbladders that are a problem. But it's essentially so, the same thing, you know, this uh the the euphoria that you feel after the pain stops. It's it's a funny thing that happens. Our brains, uh, when they get when it gets just too much of of one thing or another, even if that that something is pain, it'll go into shock mm-hmm. and just and, go, uh, okay, I'm done. Yep, <laughs> yep. And our brains will just be, no, not this is yeah. this isn't my top priority right now. <laughs> I guess sometimes our brains are looking out for us, and by uh, sometimes they, I mean all of the time, because <laughs> they're literally breathing for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, sometimes they betray us, but you know, at least in some ways they're a yeah, little now, bit now helpful. This, sto- <laughs> this story had an element of betrayal to it, uh, that he finally broke his, his promise. Yeah. It, it kind of, re- it kind of reminded me of, um, the Norwegian fairy tale, East of the Sun, West of the Moon. Mm-hmm. Now on the show, I've mentioned the Mercer Mayer book, but that's actually based on a translation of an old Norwegian fairy tale. Yeah. Um, in that one, the prince is a is a polar bear that comes and uh, everyone else sees this bear. She knows that there's something up with this bear, but the rule is she she can't Who ever look she? at him. At, oh, sorry, uh, the 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 girl in the story. I should have started oh, the story. Better. Gotcha. Main character girl. Got it. Yeah, the main main character. Yeah, I'm trying to go fast through it. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> but anyway, the 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 key to that story is she she marries the bear but can't ever look at him. Um, it's like a Beauty and the Beast thing. Yeah, until one day she does look at him and she looks in on his chamber at night and sees that he's a very handsome prince. Mm, uh, typical. Yeah, the only problem is as soon as she knows, oh, now he must get banished to the far kingdom across the ice. Mm. And she goes on some grand journey to go after him. Of it's, course. That's that's the broad strokes barely remembered after many years <laughs> since reading that story. Well, no, if we do some... <laughs> creature from that region maybe we'll do that story and it'll be great. clearly uh, a reread as an order because it's a good story <laughs> it's one i like a whole lot but this kind of uh feels that same way uh that there are conditions set in place mm-hmm. that everything's fine just don't do x yeah um, or else and then they do that and then or else happens right yeah it actually it harkens back to our very first episode the Drogumo. Where one of one of the regional tales of that was that um, basically the a, a fisherman outsmarted the Jurugumo, and mm-hmm. I think that's what, I don't, can't remember exactly. This is a long time ago, guys. <laughs> um, but basically, what happened is she was like, "Don't tell anybody um, what happened here," and he got drunk and told someone, and then she immediately like they found his body. In in the lake the next day or whatever. Yep. So if you want more and on so, that, go back to the that episode. <laughs> but um, but it's essentially so the same idea. If any lesson can be taken from this, it's that snitches get stitches. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> um, or in other terms, I guess telling secrets is a bad idea. Bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess specifically with this story, it's like. Uh, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? Like if you're yeah. given something and given conditions to about like to keep doing that thing, 
then keep doing that thing. <laughs> Don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. It's such it's such a human thing to want to spill secrets, right? Yeah. You know something, and you want to sh- you want to immediately share it with someone because it's cool. Exactly. Yeah, it's something it's something worth knowing. Well, it's a crazy thing that happens to you, and then someone's like, "Oh, by the way, uh, you can't tell anybody." You know, and we we just by nature we want to share things with the people around us, um, if not to just brag, then to process it. You know, to go through it in your mind to go, am am I batshit crazy or not? Yeah, but that's part of what we why we do what we do here to retell a story. You verbalize it, and suddenly it makes sense in your head. And then we're not batshit crazy, even mm. though we really are. Yes. Let's Even be honest. Yeah, it's hard to apply logic to what I've got going on in my brain. But hey, <laughs> same here. <laughs> if, if, if you're still listening to us after after this long, you must like something. We like you guys. <laughs> anyway, so um, let's move on to our next story. This one is a little short one. Mm-hmm. Um, it is called "The Winter Spirit and His Visitor," and it is a Native American tale. And it's by Cornelius Matthews, which I assume is the person that heard it and wrote it down. I could be wrong. Maybe that is a name of a Native American, but I somehow doubt it. Could be. I don't know. Uh, I don't know for sure. I know nothing about him. <laughs> I know if I'm uh, if I'm somebody who's not a white European and I'm trying to pick a name that sounds like a white European. It would be Cornelius Cor- Matthews. Cornelius Matthews. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it, it, that's on the list. Definitely. Um, and this one is from 1869. So, right. back in the day. Cool. So, Logan's going to read it to us. All right, here goes. An old man was sitting alone in his lodge by the side of a frozen stream. It was the close of winter, and his fire was almost out. He appeared very old and very desolate. His locks were white with age, and he trembled in every joint. Day after day passed in solitude and he heard nothing but the sounds of the tempest, sweeping before it the new-fallen snow. One day, as his fire was just dying, a handsome young man approached and entered his dwelling. His cheeks were red with the blood of youth, his eyes sparkled with life, and a smile played upon his lips. He walked with a light and quick step. His forehead was bound with a wreath of sweet grass, and in place of the warrior's frontlet, he carried a bunch of flowers in his hand. "'Ah, my son,' said the old man. "'I am happy to see you. Come in. "'Come, tell me of your adventures "'and what strange lands you have been to see. "'Let us pass the night together. "'I will tell you of my prowess and exploits "'and what I can perform. "'You shall do the same, and we will amuse ourselves.' "'He then drew from his sack a curiously wrought antique pipe.' and having filled it with tobacco, rendered mild by an admixture of certain dried leaves, he handed it to his guest. When this ceremony was attended to, they began to speak. "'I blow my breath,' said the old man, "'and the storms stand still. The water becomes stiff and hard as clear stone.' "'I breathe,' said the young man, "'and flowers spring up all over the plains.' I shake my locks, retorted the old man, and snow covers the land. 
The leaves fall from the trees at my command, and my breath blows them away. The birds rise from the water and fly to a distant land. The animals hide themselves from the glance of my eye, and the very ground where I walk becomes as hard as flint. I shake my ringlets, rejoined the young man, and warm showers of soft rain fall upon the earth. The plants lift up their heads out of the ground like the eyes of children glistening with delight. My voice recalls the birds. The warmth of my breath unlocks the streams. Music fills the groves wherever I walk, and all nature welcomes my approach. At length the sun began to rise. A gentle warmth came over the place. The tongue of the old man became silent. The robin and the bluebird began to sing on top of the lodge. The stream began to murmur by the door, and the fragrance of growing herbs and flowers came softly on the vernal breeze. Daylight fully revealed to the young man the character of his entertainer. When he looked upon him, he had the visage of Peboan, the icy old winter spirit. Streams began to flow from his eyes. As the sun increased, he grew less and less in stature, and presently he had melted completely away. Nothing remained on the place of his lodge fire but the Miss Codied, a small white flower with a pink border, which the young visitor, Siegwon, the spirit of spring, placed in the wreath upon his brow as his first trophy in the north. That was uh, short and sweet. <laughs> but the, the story is interesting. I mean, we had, there wasn't a ton of things that happened because it was such a short story. But we yeah. had uh, essentially winter becoming spring was the moral mm -hmm. of the story. Like this, yeah. this young man there to view winter passing spring beginning new life sprouting right like with the flower mm -hmm. so um that's what we have you know a nice tale of the new beginning of winter finally ending and we are gonna just kind of leave you with that idea you know yeah we're still within the cold months <laughs> in some of the world and it's kind of depressing sometimes but you all get that little seasonal darkness yeah that little bit of kind of the doldrums of it all where yeah. it's oh this winter will never end but we, <laughs> it is just going to be dark and cold it feels like that sometimes when it's still yeah. snowing in march you know but but we want to kind of leave you with with the hope that you know new life will spring yeah. up again and it will eventually be warm again <laughs> Yeah. This springtime, it's going to be awesome, everybody. It's going to be some, some cool things are going to happen just in general for the whole world. Yeah. That's Spring is great. It's so interesting to watch, <laughs> honestly. Like, um, you know, just the sense of of things growing. Sense yeah. and sense as in smell. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Um, blossoms on trees and new life. And it's just... Um, it's very refreshing and Bambi-esque. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> April showers, you know? <laughs> but We're um, not quite there yet. No, we are not. We are still in December, so. We can still enjoy the, the, the old man winter. and. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, we don't have a whole lot to talk about with that tale, but we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a short one, but you know, they don't all have to be. I mean, long, I liked it. You know, crazy. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I liked it. Um, 
But that is going to be all for us with our winter folktale stuff. So we just want to say thank you so much for listening to us. Um, Thanks for starting this journey with us. We hope that you have a fantastic new year and the coming year brings you wonderful things. Yeah, thanks, everybody. I hope you have a really happy and just healthy and just really awesome new year. Uh, one of the things that I like to do uh, right before New Year is try to think of the what is an artist. Okay, let's play this game right now. An Lindsay. artist. This an artist. Okay, so let's say let's talk. Let's we'll start with music, but you can really pick any genre of art. Say this. Say you find yourself at a New Year's Eve party, and I you often meet do. somebody. You say you meet somebody that you've never met before okay. and you're wondering what you should talk to talk to them about. This is one of my favorite New Year's Eve conversations. Um, and it's you pick an artist and then usually narrow it down to a genre that you've already discussed in the conversation. Let's say music for us. Mm-hmm. And I say, what is a musician or music group that you've discovered? They don't have to have come out this year. They could have been, you know, stopped producing stuff years ago. But what's something you've discovered in 2018 uh, in the world of music that you thought has really, really influenced you or you were surprised that you liked it or just something that really came out of nowhere and really turned the whole year for you? Hmm. I am not sure. Yeah, like, I realize I just kind of jumped, pounced it <laughs> on you out of the blue. Um, I can tell you a couple artists that have influenced me this year. It's not that I've Perfect. found them this year, but I've, I've listened to them. Yeah, maybe they really kind of this year. Maybe maybe a new album kind of helped you reconnect with them, or maybe you just rediscovered them. Or yeah, you were just um, feeling in a groove. The the two artists that I think that I listened to the most this year, um, and this is this is all with the exception of podcasts, which is honestly what I spend most of my time mm-hmm. listening to. Um, but it's been Young the Giant. Oh, good and, choice. Um, uh, Walk the Moon. Those have been really the two bands that I've listened to probably mm-hmm. the most. And I love their stuff. Um, I'm much more of an indie music person than Logan is by a very <laughs> long shot. <laughs> Logan has a very, very eclectic taste in music. I'm all over the place. That's putting it lightly. <laughs> um, so, but what about you? Who would your artist be? Well, um, this year I've really come to appreciate power wolf they are a swedish heavy metal band that's amazing Uh, specifically uh, yeah um now they sing about now i could be wrong about this uh very they they are a group of catholic priests who are also werewolves who are also vampires now one of those three elements could be incorrect (laughs) but it's very vague which one (laughs) what in the hell Uh, that's amazing yes so and that they, if if a some, band was created their, for Logan, it is that band. <laughs> some of their some of their hits are sanctified with dynamite. Yes, a hundred percent. Yes. Yes. That's so anyway, awesome. Power Wolf on on the metal side, but also in the kind of blues indie side, I I really have fallen uh, really in love with the music of Barnes Courtney this year. Barnes uh, Courtney. He's kind of I haven't even heard a of contemporary. Him bluesy kind of kind of folky rock kind of guy but uh really a great great musician barnes courtney look him up oh will is he um what kind of folky like bob dylan folky 
Yeah, Bob Dylan is not far off. Um, okay. He definitely I love has got music, so. his own kind of sound and feel to him. Um, and then sometimes we'll layer on some electronic elements to to just fill out the sound a little bit more. Cool. I like that. Uh, I like when, yeah. when genres kind of mash up a little bit. So there you go. There's some recommendations for the next year. Power Wolf and Young the Giant. Power Wolf and Barnabas. Yeah, and get and what's his name? Barnabas? Oh, B- Barnes Courtney. Barnabas Courtney. I'm sorry. Barnes, Barnes Courtney. Yeah, like. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then An- another, another name that if you wanted to pick a name that sounded like a white guy, Barnabas Courtney. Not a bad <laughs> there one. There you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, so some new artists to listen to. And yeah. um, we hope that you stick with us through the, the next year. Yes, please. Um, yep. And as always, we're just going to tell you some places where you can find us. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Folklore on the Rocks. And on Twitter at Folklore Rocks. <laughs> um, we've got pictures, notes, and sources on our website at FolkloreOnTheRocks.com. We do have a Patreon. Hopefully soon we will have a merch store. Um and we will get. Some we will have the merchiest merch, merchiest store. merch store. If you have <laughs> yeah. like uh, suggestions on stuff that you want in that, my my assumption is uh, we'll end up with uh, shirts and mugs and hats. But if you want other stuff, uh, reach out. I'll see what I can figure out. And um, basically, yeah, uh, give us. Ratings on iTunes, reviews on iTunes if you can. We're still doing the free sticker thing if you leave a review and send us a screenshot and your mailing address. Um, but even if that isn't something that you necessarily want, we would still appreciate the rate or rating or the review as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to do a bonus episode if we... Or, sorry, when we hit 100 reviews. <laughs> yes, um, it's not an if. It is a when. <laughs> yes. And it's going to be a listener-selected creature. So that's a little incentive for you guys. Um, and then just tell your friends. Word of mouth is the best marketing we could possibly get for for the show. And it will just help us keep growing. We really, really appreciate that people all over the world have been listening to us. It, it honestly kind of blows my mind a little bit. It is um, insanely it's, cool it's to think that bananas. this little this little weird project of ours <laughs> could be reaching yeah. so far, and that's that's what the internet it's is about. So people. crazy, uh, and, <laughs> and we love you guys. We hope that you keep spreading it throughout your countries, throughout your states, throughout wherever you are, throughout your family, throughout your family. I mean, tell your friends. You know, um, if anybody is remotely interested in folklore or remotely interested in weird crypto creatures, you know. Yeah. Send them our or, way, or or is a weird crypto creature? Or is a weird crypto we'll take creature? Them too. That's fine. If your neighbor is a bunyip, send them our way. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but that is going to be all for us. We will be here next week for you, and we wish you a happy new year. Happy new year. Bye.